The following is recorded for Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Welcome to the creek. I'm Pastor Matt. If, you, if I didn't get to meet you or hug you on the love gauntlet coming in, I'd love to talk to you after service and say hi to you and, and welcome you to the creek. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. Um, I'm excited about today because today marks like a change of season. School has started and Labor Day's done. Let's get into the routine. Let's get in the grind. Let's take this train to Christmas. Um, <laughs> somebody said football. I'm just saying, but DVR, right? You should never have to miss church again for football. DVR. It's like, see, that is a Holy Spirit-inspired invention right there. I'll tell you that right now. So anyway, if you're visiting with us, there's a guest card in their worship guide, and, and uh, the, I'm doing the announcements today, and they, they showed me the worship guide, and they said, hey, they're all important, to which I responded, duh. I mean, we wouldn't put them in there if they weren't muy, muy importante. Anyway, but there's a couple things. There, just about everything we do at the creek has to be set up and torn down, and it takes so many hands and hearts to engage and serve in that. And we want to take a night to all of our volunteers, and we want to love on you. We want to we do dinner for you. There's nothing to set up, and there ain't nothing to tear down. So that's a good thing around here. Um, but we do need you to RSVP so we know how many plan for child care. We're trying to determine what size room to lock your kids in for the night. Don't worry, the walls are padded and there's cameras, so we'll get it all on video. If you miss it, it'll be on YouTube. Um, also, also uh, share the warmth. That's a blanket drive. I know you may not think this now, but it is going to get cold again. Um, trust me. And, and we want to collect blankets. We're trying to collect 175 blankets for Agape. Um, Agape is where we go every first Thursday, and we have a meal with the less fortunate and uh, serve them, love on them, and, and we want to prepare them for the colder weather. And then uh, so you can help by that. There's information there. And then um, there's a chili cook-off coming up, which everyone said amen. And um, we do have to wait for it to cool off for that because after a chili cook-off, it's going to raise the temperature of the Metroplex by probably four degrees. Um, you can take that however you want. I'm just, what, what, whatever. Um, but the last one I want to bring your attention to is Kids Beach Club. Uh, we kicked off this week, I say we, like I had a major part in it, you know. It's like, oh, it was hard. But I did have a part in it because I showed up to Northbrook um, to be the pastoral oversight and support our team and, you know, kind of stand on the sidelines and watch this because, you know, we had 80 kids sign up and then the principal said, oh, it's 90. Um, I'm in the office trying to recruit the principal, you know, to come and help us out. So I walk in to see what's going on and uh, Miss Jana hands me the fourth grade boys packet and says, here you go. Let me tell you something. It's been a while since I had to work with kids. They scare me. They still scare me. But it was awesome. I got to spend an hour with a a great group of young guys, fourth grade guys, and we harnessed that energy somehow for an hour. And and it was so incredible. And one one of the guys this week, one of the boys at uh, Kids Beach Club gave his life to Christ. And that just really solidified to me. That's exactly why we do what we do. That is why we put this in the worship guide. That's why we go. That's why we do. Thank you, Jana. And Tammy's here with part of Jana's team. Thank you, Tammy and Jana. We love y'all. Um, and uh, so I'm excited about that. Let me, let me just 
challenge you, encourage you, beg you, plead with you. If you got time on Wednesday afternoons from like 2.30 to 4.30, come out and be a part of this. Um, and, and it's only an hour, like 3.30 to 4.30 is when it starts. So you can get there right before it starts and leave right after it ends. Man, those kids need to see uh, adults. They need, and men, I'm just going to lay this out. I'm not trying to guilt you, but these these kids need to see some men invest in their life. And so come and do it. And ladies, I'm not excluding you. I mean, if you can help, come and help us. Otherwise, I'm going to be having to do a group every week. And I don't know if I can do that. I'm just not called for that. Um, I'm just kidding. I love it, man. I'm excited about it. Um, so they started this week. It's 11 more weeks in this semester, 12 weeks next semester. So it's not even a, a major length of time commitment. So Acts chapter 17 is where we're going. Uh, I'll give you some time to get there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the ends of the rows for you. If you don't own a Bible, write your name in that. Make that your own. If you've got a smartphone or smart device, uh, there is an app. It's free called Uversion. You can download that. And we actually, on the live events tab, put our notes and, and scripture references and everything like that. Um, so you can, you can go there. Um, Jesus gave a command in Matthew to go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching people to obey the commands and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he promises us something in, this, in, that, in that command. I will be with you even to the end of the age. And then in Acts, uh, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, go, he said, basically reiterates it, but he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he ascends. Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit descends, descends. That's what I'm trying to tell my wife to do. Um, Sorry, she's not here. Don't tell her I said that. (laughs) I've been happily married for 18 years. And today's Ryan and Amber's 12th anniversary. Happy anniversary, guys. We love y'all. I was going to bring him up here and have him pray and have Ryan give us the secrets. And um, I I know, I I know the eyes and the look to stop. So I'm just going to stop. But anyway, the Holy Spirit descends and and provides the uh, every all the power needed to engage in this gospel mission. And the Book of Acts picks up, and the beauty of it is now the church is engaging and going into the world and changing the world. God calls us to change the world. God desires that we become world changers. We we are transformed by the Holy Spirit and the gospel and the reality of Jesus and the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection transforms our life in such a way, in such a way that we now go and be a part of that transformational mission. That becomes our mission. And we're going to see in in verse 6 that that there's an accusation made. The King James says that those men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. I want to be known for that. I want to be known as a church that engages in the gospel mission for changing the world, turning the world upside down, but it's not done by complaining or whining people into the kingdom of heaven. You can't argue people into the kingdom of heaven. We're called to change the world, not by being obnoxious Christians who mishandle the truth. We're called to be people who are transformed by the truth, to operate in love, and to then go into the world and change the world through the truth, becoming more fruitful in our life. We, we change the world by engaging people with an intelligent and passionate presentation of Jesus. 
And not presentation like this cute PowerPoint thing of rolling up into somebody's house and going, now let me show you who Jesus is. It's intelligent and it's passionate. And the passion is for Jesus, not for us being right, not for us getting our way. And so uh, we want to be accused of the same thing. I would love for it to be said, hey, this church that turned Fort Worth upside down has also come here. And in order to do that, we have to know Jesus. Not just know facts about a man. We have to know Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior. Not just who does the world say I am, but Jesus saying to the depth of your soul and speaking into your heart, who do you say I am? That then fuels all of that. So we engage the culture, not just calling out the wrongs we see. Man, it's, I, I, I'm just, I don't soapbox anything, and we don't preach against anything, but, but I'm about to start preaching against Christians being whiny and obnoxious. It's starting to bother me a little bit, but you know what? We're going to keep preaching Jesus, because if I start preaching that, I'm preaching my message I'm going to preach the truth of this book. I'm going to preach the truth of the gospel and let that transformation, let that maturity in the gospel start to play out in how we interact in society. And I'll be honest, I'm the same way. I get offended and, you know, God has to tell me, shut up and suck it up and put on your big boy pants because not everybody's going to like you. Jesus never promised that everybody's going to like us and that everything's going to go our way. Jesus doesn't promise that everybody's going to love the message that we bring, but we've got to bring it in love. We bring it in humility and we teach it, we proclaim it, we share it with passion and intelligence. So let's get in this. Acts chapter 17. Um, When they had passed through M, I I had trouble with this earlier. We'll call it A. When they uh, passed through M, Pephopolis, In Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So we've got Paul on his second missionary journey, and he's moving through the cities, and we find him passing through these towns, and he ends up in Thessalonica. And as his custom was, he would go into the synagogue, and he would start having discussions, conversations. It says that he was reasoning with the people. Let me help you with what reasoning is. Reasoning is a discussion. There's some intelligence with it. There's passion with it. And we engage in intelligent discussion with people. That's what reasoning is. You can't reason with a three-year-old. Some of you have tried. I have tried. And I have walked away defeated, my friend. I look at Heather like, there's no reasoning with this child. She's like, duh. You will not have intelligent conversation as an adult and a three-year-old child. Think of this in maturity in the faith. There's a lot of three-year-old Christians walking around that you can't reason with. You can actually reason more with people who don't believe in Jesus than you can with, with some people who follow Christ. And Paul would go in and he would start reasoning with them. What what does this mean? He's actually having a discussion. In a discussion, in a conversation, there's there's two things that happen. There's talking and there's listening. When we're engaging people in conversation, we don't just stand there and get everything off of our chest. And here's another thing about you. And here's another thing I think is wrong. And here's something you need to change. And, you know, we're just like boom, 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 boom. And then we walk away going, that was a great conversation. 
And the other person was like, that was awful. I mean, you know, you know people like that when you, when you sit down to have a conversation and you never get to talk. You never get to ask questions. You never get to engage. There's no engagement. It's all one-sided. We're not called to bring a one-sided argument. We're called to engage and reason with our culture. Discuss, speak, listen. You know, Paul may have asked questions. What, what, who do you say Jesus is? I mean, he would have gone into the Old Testament prophecies that were, that were actually given seven to 1,400 years before Jesus stepped on the scene. Paul didn't have the benefit of the New Testament. He's living it out. But he would have gone and he would have discussed the Old Testament and he would have looked at some of the prophecies. Let me, let me just give you a few. Um, Isaiah said he would be born of a virgin. There's over a thousand prophecies about Jesus. And you could, in a discussion, you could, someone could actually say, yeah, but, but, but can Jesus encompass all of those? Or do those, I mean, because you could fit some people into those. Okay, the man born of a virgin, there's only one that fits that mold. And that is Jesus. So Isaiah said he will be born of a virgin. Uh, We're told that he would come from the tribe of Judah. Um, In Micah, we're told that he would be born in Bethlehem. In Psalm 41, it says that he would be betrayed by a friend. Some of you are like, hey, I could be the Messiah. No, 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 no. You weren't born of a virgin. In Zechariah, we're told that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. That silver would be thrown into the temple. Now, if you want to drive by here and throw money at it, we'll put one of those toll booth collection baskets. You don't even have to stop. So anyway, the money would be thrown into the temple. The money would be used to buy a field and bury the poor. Psalm 11 says that his hands and feet would be pierced. It's referring to crucifixion. It was predicted that Jesus would be crucified 500 years before crucifixion was ever invented. You think God sees what's going on? Isaiah tells us that he would be uh, crucified between thieves and with thieves. Psalms tells us that his clothes would be gambled for and divided. Psalm 34 says that not a bone would be broken in the Messiah. That's very important because... When you study the archaeology of crucifixion, uh, when the soldiers were done, when they were ready to get this thing over with so they could go home and have dinner and catch up on their DVR football, they would go by and they would break the legs of the people hanging on the cross. And the reason they would do this, because with a broken leg, you could not push yourself up to get breath. And when they approached Jesus, they, they, after they broke the legs of the thieves, they approached Jesus and he was already dead. Not a bone was broken, which I think says a lot about Jesus because he says, nobody's going to take my life. I give it freely. Paul would have reasoned with them. Okay, all of these prophecies point to Jesus. Let's understand where we're at. He didn't come in and, and, and rally against what sins of society he thought were the most grotesque and start building a platform. He began reasoning about who Jesus is. Man, you read through the book of Acts. If you've been tracking with us in this series in the book of Acts, you see Peter doing it. Peter loved to quote David and saying, hey, the guy that you think is the Messiah, it's Jesus. The one you've been waiting for, it's Jesus. And so he begins to engage with the scriptures. In order to engage through reasoning means we have to know the scriptures. 
You've heard me say this before, and I will not stop saying it. I'm not going to let up on this. We've got to have Scripture on the hard drive so then it can get into the heart so that when we get into situations, we can reason with Scripture. We're not just shouting verses at people. We're reasoning. There's discussion. In order for there to be discussion and reasonable discussion, we've got to be able to intelligently converse about what the truth is. So we've got to know Scripture. I keep saying this, this intelligent argument. I don't know where along the way in Christianity we've come up with this concept of check your brain at the door to come into church. God created you with a brain. Engage it. We need to be intelligently discussing and presenting Jesus. I think if we failed to present an intelligent argument for Jesus, I think people would just assume there isn't one. I mean, Paul is not a dumb guy, brilliant man. And he could go in and he could reason with Jesus, or reason with with people about who Jesus is. Too many times we back off of a discussion because we don't have anything intelligent to say about Jesus. Engage your brain. I I believe this. I, I believe if you can't engage your brain in Christianity, then you won't be able to engage your heart either. It's both and. I mean, God wants there to be a reconciliation with the head and the heart. That's what creates the passion. That's what creates that engagement. So, so he's discussing, okay, we've just done verses 1 and 2, and we've got to get to 15. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and not a few prominent women. So Paul's reasoning with them, and then he goes into the next thing, explaining and proving. Okay, reasoning is intelligent discussion with the scriptures, and then this explaining and proving, I think there starts to come together this, this idea of, of the scriptures and life. It's, all, it's almost like what I'm doing is I'm sharing with you the prophecies that point to Jesus, and then Jesus' is, uh, what Jesus did, how that's affected my life, and then this proclamation. Truth always follows the proclamation, or proclamation always follows the truth. You've got to experience the truth before you can proclaim it, not just say it. And truth isn't just a bunch of facts and statements that are true. Here's what happens. We proclaim the truth when the truth has transformed our life. And Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. When the truth gets a hold of you and transform you, that's when you begin to proclaim something. If you just have an emotional experience at a church service, you've missed it. You've missed it. Because what you will do is you will claim that following Jesus is chasing an emotional high all the time. I just need to feel the goosebumps. No, no, no. Truth transforms your life at the core and then begins to play out in a proclamation of that truth. And that doesn't mean you're standing up shouting, Jesus is the way. Man, your life should proclaim that truth louder than any words you can say. And so Paul comes in and he says, look, here's all the Old Testament prophecies that point to Jesus. Now let me tell you what it's done in my life. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ because here's what my experience is. I can't give you the proof that you may want. There's a lot of people that say, can you prove God to me? No, I can't because you're asking God to jump through some hoops that he's just not going to, God's not your boy. He's not going to jump through your hoops. 
He's not your little poodle that you can give a treat to and he's gonna respond and do what you want him to do. All I can do is give you evidence and proof based on my life. Here's what my life was before Jesus came in. See, I used to think Jesus was just a good teacher or Jesus was this or that. But when he became Lord and Savior of my life, that's when the change happened. And all I can do is tell you what my life was before Jesus and what it was after Jesus. I can tell you what kind of person I was and that I never want to be that again. I can tell you how I acted, how I behaved. And I don't, I'm not perfect now. I still deal with stuff. I'm still a mess. I'm a redeemed mess, but I'm still a mess. And so that's the truth. That's the proving. And, and when we start talking about this in our life, people start listening. <clears throat> Because people, I mean, Solomon said it. God said eternity in the hearts of man. There's something inside of our soul that was broken in the garden with the fall. And there's something in us that is kind of longing for that eternity. And God set that in the hearts of man. And so there's something that wants us to give an ear to say, what is there? Let me tell you something. That people look at the church and they make assessments of Jesus based on what the church talks about. Whatever we talk about the most is what people think that we think is the most important. So if we, if we talk about ridding ourselves of sin, I mean, think about this. The, the, when Paul's reasoning and explaining and proving, the Jews had this idea of who the Messiah was. <clears throat> they had this idea that when the Messiah steps on the scene, I mean, everything, they were poised, waiting for the Messiah to come. It wasn't a matter of believing in God or believing in a Messiah. It was when is he going to get here and when is he going to save us? But their saving was this. When is he going to kick Rome out? When are we going to get our prosperity restored? When are we going to get our nation and our safety and our security back? When is the Messiah going to kick out all the bad people and all the sinners so we can have this great place just for us? Does that sound familiar? Years, thousands of years of history and Jesus as a Messiah and we've progressed nowhere. And Paul's reasoning is saying, hey, you don't need a political victory. You need a savior. What people need the most is Jesus, is a savior. It's not being called out on the wrongs that we see in society. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus has to permeate every conversation. Jesus is the focus. He's the subject. If it doesn't start with Jesus, get the conversation to Jesus. And it becomes reasoning, explaining, and proving. Man, here's just what the Bible says, and here's what's happened in my life. All I can do is stand here and testify the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And so Paul starts engaging with this. And explaining and proving means bringing you scriptures in and our testimony and our story. Paul, Paul did it. He used 1 Corinthians 15 a lot. I, I, we don't have the transcript of his sermon and I can't podcast it, but I'm sure Paul, as he's talking through these prophecies, is also going to go to 1 Corinthians 15 when he talks about the resurrection. And he's like, look, I witnessed it. This is first century. There were over 500 people who witnessed it, some, are who, some of whom are still alive. Go ask them. Paul's going to share his testimony. See, we've got to learn to share our story. Where does our life intersect with the cross? And that's where the story is. 
And we begin to share that, not in a way that makes us better than anybody else. We don't come and sit in here and and feel good about ourselves because of how good we are. If we do that, we're going to realize how bad we are. So we start engaging in culture. So, uh, verse 5. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Okay, the King James says it this way. They gathered up some lewd fellows of the baser sort. I love that. I mean, if you're, if, uh, don't argue with people. And if you've got to get into a name-calling contest, just, you're a lewd fellow of the baser sort. They won't know how to respond to that. I mean, if there's some, guys, if you've got daughters and, and young man shows up at the door to take your daughter out on a date, you just call him a lewd fellow from the baser sort. You will set the boundaries of that relationship, my friend. I don't know, I love it. Lewd fellows of the baser sort. They started a riot in the city. Pay attention here. Who is getting all obnoxious and emotional and getting all crazy? Not crazy, crazy. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let him go. I love it. In Scripture, you go to 1 Kings and look at some of the names of people in Scripture, and then you got Jason. (laughs) Jason's a guy who would have signed your yearbook in fourth grade with a standard yearbook phrase. Don't ever change, right? (laughs) Or too good to be forgotten. You remember that? (laughs) I'm going to go sit in the attic and have a moment with my yearbooks this afternoon. Actually, I'm going to bring them out. It's too hot in the attic. (laughs) Forget that. Actually, I'll send Abby in to get the box. Honey, you know that guy you're dating? He's a lewd fellow of the baser sort. Go get my yearbooks. Anyway... (laughs) I love it. There was a, uh, in Rome, there was only one king, and you declared that was Caesar. That's what got Jesus ultimately in trouble. But you've got this guy named Jason, who we find out is related to Paul. He's given him a place to stay, and the mob shows up at Jason's house because somebody's got to pay for this. They're all emotional and out of it. Don't play into the mob mentality, by the way. There are more noble things to do than get involved with where the crowd says you should go. Follow Jesus. If the crowd's following Jesus, get, it, get right in there. But if they're not following, and here's, you got to know if they're following Jesus. How do you know? You got to see Jesus. Don't just take somebody's word for it. Get in there, find Jesus in that crowd. If Jesus is in that crowd, go. Because here's the thing, the Messiahs, or the Jews thought the Messiah was going to kick out the bad people. When Jesus stepped on the scene, who threw the parties? Who hung out with the lewd fellows from the baser sort? It was Jesus. And, and Jason steps up and he pays this bond. Okay, so Jason gave some money and gave him a place to stay. Let me tell you something. Jason was involved in the gospel mission and the movement of turning the world upside down. 
Was it a flashy part? No, he had a mob yelling at his face and then he had to fork out some money. But you know what? He engaged in the mission of turning the world upside down. And so he, he posed the bond. Now, there is a pattern that you see that we talked about in gospel patterns. And with Paul, they go into a city, they find the synagogue, they start discussing, reasoning, explaining, improving. And then some people believe and some people don't. Now, here, the people who got obnoxious, loud, and emotional were not the Christians. Please hear me on that. We're not called to go picket. We're called to love. Signs aren't going to do anything. Let me, let me tell you a quick story. I got into a conversation a couple years ago after we launched the church because we had sent out some postcards. Some of y'all received those postcards and visited the church, and, and we got you from that, right? Well, I get a call about this postcard. And this gentleman says, I received your information and I want to send you information from my organization. So I said, sure. You gave ours the courtesy to read. I'll read, I'll read whatever you got. And then he goes, well, wait, you're not going to use it to preach against us, are you? Nope. I said, we preach Jesus. We believe in a man named Jesus who is fully God, fully man. He's a son of God. And he came and gave his life so we could have life and we could be forgiven. We could be reconciled with our creator. That's what we preach. And he said, so you'll, you'll, you'll read what I got. Yep. So in the conversation, uh, his organization had uh, created a lot of uh, media hype because of a sign that they had purchased to put on buses in the city. And he said, are you familiar with that? I said, yeah, I am. And, and throughout the conversation, he just wanted to know what I thought about the sign. And I wouldn't engage with him. And I said, let me tell you something. All I can do is tell you what Jesus has done in my life and who he is. And, and, and that's it. And I'm not going to step onto a sidewalk in the city with a solid belief in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, knowing who he is, and see a sign and go, oh, I don't believe in God anymore. And then I since sarcasm is one of my spiritual gifts, I said, just as much, I'm not going to be driving down the highway and see a smiling pastor on a billboard and go, I think I'm going to believe in God. We're not called to engage with that. The only reason that we had a reasonable conversation is because we let it be reasonable. We had discussion. I got to listen to this man's heart. The reason he is so against God is because the hurt in his past from the church Okay, I wouldn't have gotten that if I wouldn't have had a discussion with him, but it would have just been, this guy's nuts. You know what? I've got a friend now. I didn't miss out on a relationship with another person. Is he saved? No. But I have a relationship that could be redemptive for this person. We're called to engage in intelligent conversation about who Jesus is. Not everybody's going to believe it. Not everybody's going to like it. Not everybody's going to like you. But that's Okay. I still believe this. If the gospel changes your life and absolutely screws your life up, it's still the best thing that's ever happened to you. So the mob goes nuts. They leave town. They go to Berea. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. I love this. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. I would much rather be a Berean in this case, wouldn't you? For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. This is why I say, get your own Bible, read it, mark it up. Don't take my word for it. Read the word yourself. The Bereans did that. 
Many of the Jews believed and did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So, so if the Bereans are more noble than the Thessalonians, what are the noble characteristics of a world changer? Or as I like to say, a world turner, upside downer. That makes sense. It just rolls off the tongue, right? A world turner, upside downer. Look at the Bereans here. They, there's some things we can understand. They, they were prepared for the word. I mean, do you come in a place like this with an anticipation and an an excitement and is your mind, is your heart prepared for the word? I said your mind and your heart because you need to have your brains in here and be functional. Are you prepared for it? And then then they received the word. It's kind of like the parable of the seeds. It's kind of do some soil preparation maybe the night before or on your way to church and start worshiping before you get to church. I'm driving here on Sunday mornings. I got praise and worship music going. I'm already worshiping. I don't need y'all to to get my worship on. I can do it in the car. I can do it through Spotify, CD, Pandora, radio, cassette, 8-track, LP, whatever you want to do. Whatever your fancy is. So receive the word. Be prepared for it. Receive the word. And then search the scriptures to test what people say. What I've learned in my journey of faith is there are a lot of people who develop opinions about faith based on something they've heard that might not be true. What did I say? You're going to follow the crowd. Make sure Jesus is in there. Get in and search the scriptures. Test what the scriptures say against what you're being told and the input being received. And spend some time reading. Test what I say, because I'm not perfect. I don't get it right all the time. And some of y'all do that. Some of y'all have come back and said, well, this is what I saw. Is this right? I'm like, man, you're right. I'm sorry. So test it. And, and then what it says, they studied the word daily. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I just stepped on your toes there. That was just self-explanatory. They studied the word daily. Daily. You eat daily, right? I do. I eat a couple times a day. I even snack. I graze. That coffee bar is terrible for my waistline because I don't go in and get a plate and take three cinnamon rolls. I graze. And I'm here all three services, my friend. And then I'm in there. That's where I go during teardown because I'm on the cleanup crew for the coffee bar. And I'm like, well, there's only eight cinnamon rolls left. I mean, I might as well eat them. <laughs> so, it's noble to pursue the truth. It's of noble character to pursue the character of God. How do we know the character of God? By spending time reading his word. I've got two daughters and, and, and being a dad is, is tough. Being a husband is tough. And nowhere in here do I see where it tells me, here's what curfew needs to be set for this daughter. Here's how to set the parameters of Facebook. But here's what I have learned. Through understanding the character of my heavenly father, that character leads me to make decisions for my family based on the character of God. It's a noble thing to pursue truth. Let's finish this up. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned 
that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. So the lewd fellows of the baser sort went to Berea, which was no small trip, so they could stir up some more trouble. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left uh, with instructions for Paul and Timothy, or for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Um, as Christians, we're not called to get obnoxious with the truth and don't play into the mob mentality. I mean, Paul knew when to engage and when, when not to engage. You are not going to engage in reason with a mob. Don't do it. It's very tempting for the mob mentality to be under the banner of Jesus. Search the scriptures. What does Jesus tell us to do in that? The emotional outburst is not for Christians. Here's what we do. We calmly state, Jesus is Lord. And my prayer is that we all become that way, to reason, examine, and explain. Because the only way to turn the world upside down is from the inside out. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word and we thank you that, that you allow us uh, uh, to know and study and, and understand your truth. And, and I just pray right now, um, maybe, there's, maybe there's people in this room, God, that, that feel like they don't understand it. And I, I pray that right now through your power and a work that only you can do, that you give them hearts that can, can understand. Give them eyes to see, give them ears to hear. And Lord, I just pray that the transformation doesn't come from words on a page or studying words on a page, but by experiencing who the word is. Because in the beginning was God. And the word was with God and the word is God. And so may we study the word who is Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, if we've done anything to, to march under a banner that doesn't give you glory and honor, forgive us. If, we, if we've played into a mentality that doesn't make Jesus clear, forgive us. If we've been unreasonable and argumentative, forgive us. Lord, help us not miss out on relationships. by how we engage. Father, help us to be sensitive in the conversations that we have and the, the people that we live around, whether that's in our own homes, in our workplace, or in the marketplace. God, help us to be sensitive. And may our words bring you glory. May our deeds bring you glory. And Lord, I pray that you give us the... the encouragement and the willingness to study, to get to know our Father. God, there might be some in this room who don't know you as Father. They, they know a bunch of truthful information or spouted off facts about Jesus, and they can very well answer who society says you are. But right now, Jesus, as you speak into their heart and ask, who do you say I am? I pray that you reveal yourself to them as Lord and Savior. And I pray that, that head, heart, everything intersects and the cross becomes 
something that, that absolutely transforms their life right now in this place. Father, thank you for a safe place that we can gather and wrestle and study and learn so that we can be the people that you've called us to be when we leave here so that we can be world changers. Whether that's in a child's life, a co-worker's life, a spouse's life, whatever it is, God, you've called us to change the world, to turn it upside down. Help us to live with a gospel mission the core of everything we do. We love you and we thank you. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.